Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning at 1030 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. This week we continue our series, The Gospel According to John. We're in John chapter 13 with guest speaker Peter Hibbs and his message, A New Commandment. Well, good morning. My name is Peter Hibbs. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. My, my parents actually became followers of Jesus while stationed. My dad was stationed on Kodiak Island up in Alaska, and there was a missionary who was doing a Bible study and led my mom to Christ. About six months after that, my, my uh, dad came to be a follower of Jesus. And so I had the privilege of growing up in a church very much like this. So it's, it really feels like home to come in. And you guys have been awesome. Jen and I got to visit last week. And, and um, Joel has shared what's going on. I'm so excited for what God's doing here. Um, excited for Joel. Uh, love getting to partner with him. We're both on the chaplain team for Gresham. Um, and he's just, he's been a, a real blessing to both Jen and I, Joel and Amy, and so it is a, it's an honor to be here. Um, we spent, excuse me, about 16 years on staff with Camps Crusade for Christ, kind of all over the world. So we lived in Lithuania a couple times, and we lived in Australia. We were um, located out of Portland for about six years, and then moved to the strangest land of all, Florida. <laughs> And it was by far the strangest of all the places we have lived. Uh, we were there for a couple of years before God, in his great wisdom uh, and mercy, moved us back to the Northwest, and um, I ended up on staff at Good Shepherd. Uh, I oversee the outreach department, uh, so that's all of, kind of the missionaries who are out, and then all the efforts of mobilizing God's people to the kingdom work that's going on right here in our own communities. And part of my job is, is lots of travel, so I get to visit churches all over the world. And what you do when you visit churches all over the world is you bring greetings from your home church. And right now, my home church is about five minutes that way, but I bring greetings from Good Shepherd. All of you, greetings in the name of the Lord. We love what God's doing here. Uh, it's so cool. It's so encouraging. We need hundreds and hundreds of churches. There are so many lost people in boring Damascus and Gresham. We're praying that God would do an amazing revival and uh, churches everywhere to be filled up. New churches planted, God doing amazing things everywhere. Uh, we all know the world is desperate for a savior. Uh, it's not getting better, is it? So, um, Okay, we're going to stand together, and we're going to read the first part of John 13. Um, and here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to actually, I mean, you can read if you want, but really, maybe just close your eyes. I want you, I want you to use your imagination to be and let John describe what's going on. So close your eyes, we'll read the first part together. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, 
and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if, you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Let's pray. Father, this morning we have the incredible opportunity to read the words of John inspired by the Holy Spirit to teach us about you. So I pray right now um, that we would hear from you. Um, these, are not, these are not my words. I pray that you would speak to us in this room that we would see you more clearly, and as a result, fall in love with you more, and that our lives would be changed as a result of it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and have a seat. Um, this is page, I think, 846 in the Pew Bibles. If that's not right, can someone let me know? Um, I don't have any slides or pictures, uh, and so I do, I'd love for you guys to be in the, te like in the text looking at the words. Uh, and we're just going to pause, before we get into to John 13, we kind of want to step back and just remind ourselves why the Gospel of John exists. And John did a very good job um, of explaining why John exists. Um, in John chapter 20, verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So Jesus did lots and lots of things. And John saw lots and lots of things, which means the things that are included in the Gospel of John are there for a very, very specific purpose. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're just checking out this church thing, maybe a friend invited you, what you need to know is John wrote this for you. He's laying out his best case for why this Jesus is great. Okay? So every, every, um, every sign, every wonder, uh, this whole passage going into the high priestly prayer is designed for you to encounter Jesus as God. Uh, and if you are a follower of Jesus, this is just an amazing opportunity, to, again, for you to fall more in love with him, to see him for who. He truly is. John 13 comes right about halfway in the book. So the first part of John is Jesus like doing these signs. He's there's the wedding. I mean, um, he's cleanses out the temple and the woman at the well, and it's it's just these displays of power and signs of who he is. And then John 12, he raises he enters Jerusalem, raises Lazarus, enters Jerusalem. The people love him. And the leaders hate him. And he's basically, this is, this is the end game, right? So if this is the Marvel movies, like we're at the last one. Jesus has like 
thrown down the gauntlet, and he's going to have the end game happen. And so John brings us into this room, this, la- this room, and he was going really fast. Things were happening really fast, and now he slows down and spends five chapters listening to Jesus. All right, so Jesus knows the time's end. He slows down, and this is like his last great speech to his guys. It's like, these, this is the most important thing I want to leave with you. Uh, and it, it starts with an act of service, right? This, this incredibly countercultural act of the upside-down kingdom. So washing feet. Feet are super gross. Uh, now, they were super, super gross back then, right? So everyone's walking around in sandals. Uh, I've spent some time in Africa walking around in sandals, and there's like feces, and there's stuff everywhere, and um, uh, so I'm, I'm in, where were we? We were in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, on this trip, we were working with a relief organization. I get home, and I look down at my toe, and there's like this blister in a really weird spot. It's like up by my toenail, I'm like, huh. That's really strange. And so I, you know, I'm young and so I poke it. <laughs> I'm like poking this thing and it tears and then all of these seed, uh, all of these eggs come out of it. <laughs> um, and so what I learned in Africa is there's bugs that will like scoop out a part of your flesh and lay eggs in you. I didn't know that. No long term, I'm thankful they didn't, you know hatch and there was like an alien type of thing, but um, <laughs> like feet are just, they're rough. Feet are rough. Uh, and so God gives us, or Jesus display, has this incredible display of washing, of, of the rabbi washing the feet of his disciples. Um, when Jen and I got engaged, uh, we were, I was like 25, um, and I'm like, oh, I know what I'm gonna do for this. You know, we'll go to dinner, we'll go back, and then like, I'll ask her to marry me and then I'll wash her feet as like this symbol of like what Jesus loves the church. You know, this is amazing symbology. So at 25, I washed Jen's feet, and like there, that was it. That was my thing. And now the, the problem is the washing the feet is like the easy act. The living out the washing of the feet for the next 20 years is the hard act. <laughs> And if I had known now about that 20 years, I, I don't know if, if I could have washed the feet right then, right? So it's, it's the act is great, but then you have to live out what it means to be a humble, submissive leader. And as, as Jesus draws to the end of his, his time with them, how amazing is this is what he shows them. Like, it could have been, he could have been, hey guys, remember that time I picked up whips and I beat up all the moneylenders, and I threw those guys out of the temple. Isn't that cool? That's power. Remember that time we were in a, a wedding at Cana? And like, the party was going on, and the guys had run out of wine. I'm like, I'm going to show you guys how great wine can be. And he makes 120 gallons of wine. But Jesus doesn't go to those things. He goes to this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he washed their feet. So in John 13, 
we have some main characters that John's kind of bringing into focus. The first, of course, is Jesus. So Jesus knows his time has come. He knows this is his final kind of like demonstration and lesson for them. And it's a very intimate time. And then we have John, uh, who described, do you guys know how John describes himself? He describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like, talk about identity, right? It's not even a hint of arrogance in it. He's like, I'm just the disciple Jesus loved. <laughs> like, I don't know about you guys, Jesus loved me. <laughs> uh, and we have Peter, right? And Peter, like John and Peter must have had this really interesting relationship because John is constantly kind of calling out Peter's brashness. And he's like, he's all in, and he, right? He's like, oh, don't wash my feet. Oh, wash my whole body, right? He's, he's kind of all over the place. That's Peter. Uh, and then we have Judas. And Judas is just... If I'm writing this, Judas isn't in this story, right? Because this is Jesus with his most intimate and faithful followers. And there's Judas. And John, the writer, did not like Judas at all. Every time John describes Judas, he calls him out. And um, he says, at the very beginning... Did I not choose you, the 12, Jesus says, and yet one of you is a devil. And then John gives this little parenthetical statement. He spoke of Judas. Which Judas? Oh, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Just so you know, we're talking about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. And then later on, after uh, the ointment is put on Jesus' feet, what does Judas say? He says, uh, we could have sold all that for 300 denarii and, and given it to the poor. And then John goes, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. John does not like Judas. There's no room here. Like, Judas is the betrayer. It's described in 13. If you look at 13, the very beginning... Um, in chapter or verse 2, during supper when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And the next verse is Jesus washing Judas's feet. So Jesus knows who the betrayer is. And Judas is going to leave in a little bit, but he doesn't leave until after Jesus washes his feet. And as you read Read through 13, there's almost like Jesus is offering time and time again, Judas, like you don't have to do this. And Judas sits there and lets Jesus wash his feet. Peter's the one who protests. He's the one, oh, you shouldn't do it. And Judas the betrayer sits there and receives it. So those are our characters and Jesus begins this act of total humility to demonstrate to them. Um, and then he goes into chapter, uh, or sorry, uh, verse 12. And we're going to read, this is his description. It's like he does this thing, and then he's going to tell you what it means. Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
For I, excuse me, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me, and I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples, whom Jesus loved, you remember who that is, right? That's John, uh, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so he had dipped the morsel, gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So in your mind, you need to picture, right? So you have Jesus, and on his right is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And within reaching distance is Judas Iscariot, probably right there on his left. Judas was actually an important person within the site. You don't, you don't leave the low man in charge of the money bag. Judas is in charge of the money. He was respected. He was trusted in the group. And he had a seat of honor within the room. And Simon looks to John. You just, like, commotion is going on. Food's being served. You've been, in, you know, you've been at dinners like this, right, where all this commotion is going on. And Simon Peter kind of looks at John and is like, like, what is he talking about? Who is it? And John leans over, and Jesus said, let me show you. I will serve him food, and then he will betray me. And Satan entered into him, into Judas, and Jesus said to him, what, are you going, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. And it was night. The end game. Judas goes out. The die is cast, the motion is set forward, the evening will un, um, un, uh, unveil itself. Jesus will be arrested, he'll be tried, he'll be beaten, he'll be hung on a cross. And it started with Jesus handing a morsel to the betrayer. And even in that moment, who is sovereign? Who is sovereign in that moment? Jesus is sovereign in that moment. He's the one who said, okay, go betray me. Satan and Judas are responsible for it, but sovereignty was always in Jesus' hands. And with Judas leaving, Jesus says what he needs to say to his people. Judas is out of the room. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. 
Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Loving one another is not a new commandment, right? You know, what is the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another wasn't a new thing, but in a sense, it was about to be realized and lived out in a new way because Jesus was leaving. And when Jesus left, he sent his Holy Spirit to come and live in those who follow Jesus. Um, So this new commandment is so important and vital to what Jesus is trying to do on earth. He's creating an upside-down kingdom, right? In an upside-down kingdom, the king is the one who gets down and washes the feet of the disciples. The king is the one who goes up on the cross and is killed for our sin. And Jesus is challenging his disciples, like, if you really want to be of my kingdom, then you have to love one another. And Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered. Jesus looks him in the face and says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So we have some characters, right? We have Judas, who is an agent of Satan. He is used by Satan to bring about the death of Jesus. And we have Jesus, who is an agent of God, who in humble submission to his authority is going to lay down his life for his friends. And we have Peter, Peter, who is self-deceived, right? But the difference between Judas and Peter is like Judas had given fully over to his sin. Jesus basically sent him away and said, go. Like, you want to serve Satan, serve Satan. But with Jesus or with Peter, there's a different response, right? And we'll see as we go into 14 and 15, there's a different response. See, Peter was deceived in how much he truly was sold out for Jesus, He's like, a little girl is going to ask if you know who I am, and you're going to deny me to a little girl. Your faith isn't as strong as you think it is, but it will be. And what Jesus knows is that Peter needs to go through a trial, a purification, an opportunity where all of this is ripped away, and he can see with clear eyes what it means to follow Jesus Um, Jesus prays for Peter, and he knows he's going to be restored. And that is a radically different response in your understanding of who Jesus is. With Judas, Jesus was something to get money from, to bolster himself. And for Peter, 
Peter's response is actually to get closer to Jesus. When it's all said and done, he's like, I'm all in on Jesus. And all of this ties back into the, like the very first thing we read. Before Jesus gets up, what does he say? In, in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose and did this act. Jesus' humble submission is found in his identity in the Father's eyes. And that is the main point of today. Humble service, humble submission is found in identity. So, if you are a follower of Jesus, what is your identity? And we're going to talk about that for a second. Um, the Bible speaks a ton about identity. In John 1.12 it says, you are a child of God. In Acts it says, you're a personal witness of Christ, for Christ. In Romans, it says you've been justified and redeemed. It says you have died with Christ and died to the power of sin's rule in my life. You have been freed from the power of sin. You are a slave to righteousness. Romans eleven sixteen says you are holy. Romans fifteen seven says Christ has accepted you. First Corinthians, it says you have been sanctified. And on and on and on, the Bible is trying to get you to understand your identity. Because your identity informs how you respond. Imagine, if you will, you woke up every day, and before you talked to your spouse or your kids, you said, knowing that the Father had given all things into Jesus' hands, and that one day I will go to be with the Father, and then you lived out that reality of humble service to your spouse and to your kids. Um, this world would look really different, wouldn't it? It's the hardest thing, I think, for us to truly believe that we are beloved children of God. In Christ, we are beloved children of God. In fact, as we end... Um, and as I pray for us, I want to point us to Ephesians 3. And Paul makes this profound prayer about identity. In 3.14, Ephesians 3.14, he says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is praying that you just have the strength to comprehend. Like it's so much, you couldn't handle it, how much God loves you. 
And he ends with, not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, would that be true for us, and oh, it is so hard to believe. It is so hard to believe that we can be fully known, like fully known, Lord, to the very depth of our character, to every decision or thought we have ever made, to be fully known and yet to be fully loved. Could we have the strength to believe that is true? And Lord, could we have the strength to believe that is true so much that we walk around like Jesus and our demonstration of power is humble submission and service? Would it be true at Hollyview? Would it be true at Good Shepherd and at Gresham Bible? Would it be true in my home? Would it be true as, as a father to his kids? Would it be true as a husband to his wife? Would it be true in each person's home here, in each of their workplaces, in each of their schools, that we would actually have the strength to believe in a God who loves us that much and that each of us can live that love out through humble service. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, Thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.